somebody gave me some peanut butter sandwiches to take to one of the homeless camps that I was visiting at that time. And, and I asked a homeless guy, what do you guys like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? And he goes, well, it depends who made them. I said, well, why does that matter? He goes, well, kids know how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but the adults always skimp because they want it to go further. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Joining me today is Rick Reynolds, Executive Director with Operation Nightwatch which is a grassroots volunteer-led group of people dedicated to loving the neighbors who are poor and homeless. Through the years in downtown Seattle community has changed, so they've shifted their focus to meet the emerging needs. And I'd like to welcome Rick Reynolds, Executive Director of Nightwatch. Welcome to the show. I can't wait to hear all about Nightwatch and what you're up to. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. We show care for homeless people late at night. We do food and shelter every night. We have a small apartment building for formerly homeless seniors. Street outreach. So we're out in the field bringing supplies, uh, trying to make ourselves useful, finding out, building relationships, finding out what people need and, and responding to that. We're located in the edge of the international district. So we're uh, just out of downtown at uh, 14th and Main Street. My first quarter of graduate school and seminary, I knew about Nightwatch, but at that time it was primarily a a function of uh, ministers going out on the streets and going from bar to bar to bar late at night. I thought, I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, I started volunteering with them in uh, 1981, and I did it for about 10 years, and then I'd been a minister at a church on Capitol Hill for 12 years, and uh, then I, I left there and was hired as the director of Nightwatch in 1994, so 26 years ago. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, you know, it's the endlessly fascinating people that you meet. When you work with homeless people, I think we all have kind of a stereotype of what that's about, but I'm telling you, homeless people, there's a full range of skills and interests and personalities that are among the homeless population. And I think after that much time of working with homeless people that I would have seen it all, but I I still have the capacity to be surprised by the compassion, by the intelligence of the people that I meet out on the streets. And that's the thing that keeps me going. And and, and that and the good outcome. I think we kind of have this idea, it's just a hopeless situation. There's thousands of people outside at night and what are we going to do? And we're afraid and all that. But man, I've seen some really terrific things take place because of the care of volunteers and staff people and um, the responsiveness of the people we're talking to. Do you have some favorite stories you like to tell? Oh, always. Imagine uh, being sick with a, a life-threatening disease and not having the resources to have a place to live. So I I met a guy named Herschel about, I don't know how many years ago now, who uh, had Huntington's disease. And this guy, he was a worker, you know, and I noticed that he was uh, sober uh, when I met him. And I asked him about that. He fished his AA coin out. He had, I think, <laughs> 13 years of sobriety. And, uh, but Huntington's uh, is uh, marked by uncontrolled movements. Right. Uh, brain sends out signals. And, and you know, that guy mopped our floors, he swept the sidewalk, staffed the doorway, you know, they 
keep people in or out, depending. And, uh, mm-hmm. It did that night after night for years, uh, even after we got him into an apartment. And eventually he moved into our senior uh, living situation and really served well right up to the point of death. You know, it was just amazing. And he always said to me, I said, Hersha, shouldn't we go check out nursing homes or something, you know, so that you get to the point you kind of know what, you know, where you can go, where you would like to live. He goes, no, God will take care of me. (laughs) um, Really, he fell down in our hallway, went to the hospital, spent a month in a nursing home in the close by and, uh, and then fell again. And and that was, that was the end. He had a very gracious ending to his life. And, Mm. It was just wonderful, you know, to see the change in that guy over the years. So, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people that don't suffer from drug or alcohol problems don't understand addiction disorders until I start talking about donuts and all of a sudden they act real sheepish, you know. (sighs) I think all of us have something in our lives that we have to overcome that way. And the consequences, of course, of drug and alcohol is it's very isolating Mm -hmm. and breaks down the relationships between the user and people around them, people they love. And, and so that's the thing that we try to do is get people to reconnect and, and stay connected too. This is the thing we can't give up on them and we don't want them to give up on themselves. So it's always that keeping hope alive that, that motivates Operation Night Watch. So every night we've got uh, homeless people that want to get inside that come to us. And we, right now the challenge is with COVID, right? Yeah. We, we have not been able to do our big mass feedings like we used to do. We have to spread out, feed people outside here and there and, um, and keep people at a safe distance from each other. Our shelters, we've had to uh, have the sleepers spread out, which means that we don't have the capacity that we used to have. So where, whereas we have several off-site locations where people uh, can sleep at night. And uh, one of those was a church in the university district. And we had 50 guys in bunk beds in there, and they were quite comfortable. It was a very popular spot to go. And um, the health department came through after COVID hit and said, well, really safely, you can only keep 21 guys here. Well, that's 29 guys that we had to sell, tell, you know, we're sorry, there's no place for you. You know, and that, that's just a, the heartbreaking part of this job is Every night, you know, there can be people that show up that, that we don't have room for. And, you know, and what happens is when we can't get people inside at night, they start to give up uh, even looking, you know. And so they, they, you know, get a tent, find a place to flop down, and it's not a good situation outside. You're not going to get stable. You're not going to get organized. You're not going to get back to work by, uh, you know, giving up and sleeping outside. So we try to get everybody inside. We have a a new church basement that we just opened up for 10 guys that can spread out a whole church basement and only 10 guys in there uh, with a a worker. You know, we're always looking for uh, other uh, close-in locations where we could, you know, put a worker with 10 guys and try to get more people inside. So the the overnight count found about 12,000 people uh, in King County, uh, Seattle and King County that are homeless. And about half of them have a place to go at night, uh, inside and the rest are, are camping out in, uh, in the tents. So if somebody that's listening is saying, I've always wanted to help, I didn't know what to do. They reach out to you and they can, they can reach out to us at info at Seattle nightwatch.org. And just tell us that you want to volunteer, and we'll put you in touch with our volunteer coordinator. 
And, um, you know, one of the things that they, one of the challenges for us is uh, transporting uh, small groups of homeless people to these offsite locations. So we provide transportation to the churches, get them inside. And so we're always looking for people that can drive a normal sized van and aren't afraid of uh, the impact of uh, being around people that are uh, homeless. So, you know, we, we do test our guys and so far it's been amazing. Uh, you know, other than me, I'm the only person that, uh, that got sick with the COVID uh, other than our third floor seniors. They, the entire floor was uh, tested positive and a lot of them were asymptomatic, but some, some had a real struggle and a Two of them have passed away. Oh. And uh, in April, I came down with COVID, uh, April 18th, and I wasn't able to start coming back to work until the end of June, if you can believe that. Oh, my so goodness. It's really, uh, but the homeless guys have not tested positive, And we test, we tested last night. We expect to have the same results. The public health has been very good about it, helping us get people tested. So certainly impact all of life, but homeless people have experienced the impacts. A lot of them would spend the day, you know, at the public library. And of course, that hasn't been accessible to them for a while. And, you know, it's disrupted life for everybody. Right. And many of the day centers where they could at least go and sit down for a minute and get coffee and lunch are closed. And maybe they're getting handed a bag lunch. But there's a million reasons why I've run into people that are homeless for all kinds of uh, situations, you know. One of the things that we do on the side, when we find a homeless person that does have a home that they could get, if they could get there, you know, like an out-of-town relative that would agree to let them come and stay, or an employer, like we've gotten, we got one guy that got, uh, we sent off to Alaska because he had the opportunity to work as a cook in a resort where he'd have housing. Wow. You know, we've sent people across the country by bus. Uh, usually, um, and get them inside uh, so they're no longer homeless on the streets of Seattle. It's amazing. They come here for work, and then, you know, things fall apart for them, and they they don't have any way to get, get home. And so, uh, you know, we've sent several hundred people that way out of town. So that's been a very uh, good thing to do. Sounds like you do a lot. So you kind of provide different kind of services as to what they need besides yeah. a place for them to sleep. That's right. So, you know, uh, and a couple of us are that are uh, clergy types, you know, we're wearing our clerical collars. So when we go out, sometimes they want to talk about, you know, just tell the story of their day. And, and that's great to listen to be listened to instead of, uh, you know, being yelled at by a property owner or mm-hmm. or, you know, somebody on the sidewalk. Have somebody listen to how how's your day, you know, right. uh, sometimes they want to debate about the finer points of some theological position. Of course, I, I try to avoid that because it, it stereotypes me. <laughs> and, um, so anyway, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a great place to work. I, I've been, yeah, I've been very uh, pleased with the 26 years here. Wow. So your usual fundraiser, have you gone virtual or have you had to cancel? Well, we're, we're doing a, uh, we're calling it the PB&J Luncheon. And uh, we're going to have a, a little uh, live stream presentation uh, October 21st. Uh, we're rounding up our matching funds right now and uh, hoping to be able to raise about $150,000 online uh, in the, on October 21st. 
if people are interested in that, just go ahead and uh, let us know at info at seattlenightwatch.org. Um, and our website is www.seattlenightwatch.org. It's, it's a great website. It's got up-to-the-minute uh, information about what's going on around here. And do they have stories of people that have gone through? And... Oh, sure. There's stories of people that have been here and moved on, no longer homeless. And sometimes we're out running around and somebody will stop us and say, hey, you guys helped me you know, 20 years ago. Really? And that's always fun to do. I, I was... Uh, Somebody was donating a desk in a, from an office building in downtown Seattle, and um, and they're loading the desk into the truck. And the guy says, "Yeah, I used to come to Night Watch back when I, you know, spent a little bit of time on the street. I was at a community meeting once uh, in the neighborhood, and some guy raised his hand in the back. Uh, people were kind of lining up to yell at me about this and that because you know homelessness does impact a neighborhood. Yeah. We're, we work very hard to be a good neighbor. We've gone around and, you know, given my personal cell out to neighbors. So if they see something, they should call me and see if I can rectify it. Uh, and we try to get good behavior from the guys coming here, which is really interesting. If you raise the expectations on folks, they do respond because they, they want to keep getting food and shelter from us. Uh, they'll they'll have to do, do what they need to do to uh, keep the whole neighborhood safe. But, um, yeah, this guy at a community meeting, told the story about his first night of being homeless and he showed up at night watch and some smiling volunteer handed him a piece of cake and he thought this is i'm going to get through this (laughs) they got cake (laughs) wow you know when they say it's the small things (laughs) yeah i and i i witnessed that with the ladies i worked with they took such ownership in the place that we were able to get to feed them that they I mean, they would make sure people treated everybody around there oh, yeah. well. You know, we, we say we'd be a good neighbor for everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we, we do that's kind of occasional responding to a situation in a neighborhood. So uh, just a couple weeks ago, there was a neighbor in the Central District that called us and said, I'm really worried about this woman sleeping on a mattress in a parking strip uh, right off of Martin Luther King. Um, can you come and just see what she needs, you know? And so we went out there probably half a dozen times and uh, alerted the uh, city-funded outreach workers that she was there and just kind of made sure she had water to drink and some basic nutrition. And so it took about a week before she moved on and we were able to help out that way. And that was really great. I think the, the neighbors were really appreciative that we were there for, for this woman who was, you know, obviously suffering from some dementia. Right. And I think that when there's mental illness involved, that does, you know, add that different element because people will get afraid. But the fact, like you said, you gave out your number, they know they can call you. And yeah. I think that with people and organizations like yours, when, you know, we look at it, we say, look at all the homeless people in Seattle when you drive down the freeway and it feels hopeless. But then I hear you and you're like, hey, people are, they're getting jobs, they're getting into homes, they're getting a new life. And that is so powerful. Yeah, it keeps you going. I mean, there's a lot of people that just keep sliding down. If they if they don't get uh, help for their, uh, if they have a chemical addiction disorder and they don't get help for it, you know, it's not a, not a good outcome. But, you know, even during the time of COVID, there's still AA groups that are meeting. Uh, you can find these online uh, Zoom meetings mm-hmm. uh, for 12-step recovery work. And that's 
really a powerful thing for uh, for people that are suffering from addiction disorder. It's very, you know, the this, the COVID virus is a very isolating thing. I spent you know, 64 days in my house in two rooms, you know, wow. without being around anybody in my household. And uh, there were five five of us there. And um, uh, anyway, uh, and so, uh, yeah, happily my wife didn't get it. So that was... Yeah. Well, tell us how you coped with that, because I think that if um, if we don't know somebody that's had COVID, I think it's good for us to hear from somebody who's had it, how they coped with it. Okay, so... I unfortunately, uh, I responded to the, one of our senior residents on the third floor of our building. They told me he was sick, and I had a pretty good idea. It was probably COVID-related. And I went over. I was masked up, and I, I talked to him. Uh, he told me he was going to go to the doctor that night. I said, well, let me know if you need anything. About 8 o'clock that night, then he called me and said, can you send some food up? Because I wasn't able to get out. I said, okay. In the morning, I'm coming with a public health nurse, and at 8.30 the next morning, I showed up with the public health nurse, and he was already expired in his room. And oh. so the public health people were very excited, Then they came through, and they tested everybody the following Wednesday, so it was about six days after I found him. And I tested negative, and I thought, great, okay. And then, But that was on a Wednesday. Then the three days later, on Saturday night, after <laughs> after helping my 90 five-year-old parents for the couple hours and I I got home and I started spiking a fever and getting a cough and I thought oh great so that was April 18th and I was uh, tested the following week didn't leave the house except for that test uh, I just sat in the car they came and tested me and then they said yeah you're positive so I went home and I had a uh, low-grade fever and a cough for you know about a month and then another month after that I'm still running a fever but not coughing. So I never needed, you know, hospital care and people that want to poo-poo this whole thing that so so few people die as a percentage of those who catch it by say how many people can survive missing 64 days of work right. and you know it, three weeks I was working half time for three weeks afterwards just to recover. Mm. Um, it's, it was, it would have been a huge impact, but I've worked in the same place so long. I've got enough sick leave. I could be gone for another six months. <laughs> I still at least not suffer financial consequences. Right. And then and even, even now I I'm, I'm out of gas late in the afternoon. Um, I get really tired. Of course, that could be a function of age. I don't like to admit. <laughs> right. But you said you were around your elderly parents, so then you had to worry about them? Yes. I, I called. I had contact with about four or five people besides my parents that day, and I let them all know. And as far as I know, none of them, nobody got sick from me. Hmm. Uh, and my wife was already sleeping downstairs because we were providing hospice care to somebody in our home, a friend of ours that was suffering from cancer. So my wife had moved downstairs to be with her at night, and uh, so we weren't—we hadn't been in the same bedroom for several weeks before I got sick. So that probably kept her from getting it. So that was a, a mercy there. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's so interesting. And then you're you're home, but you're not—you're sick, but you're you're not like needing the respirator. But still, you yeah. ha- can't do anything, go anywhere. That oh, had to be had, so hard. I got so tired of Star Trek reruns. <laughs> I, I, I streamed uh, all the Star Treks on uh, Netflix, but I, by the end, I was like, oh, I can't take another one. You're ready for a trivia. <laughs> yeah, I, I needed something different then. Such a moment when I, 
I got the all clear and I started feeling good again. It was like I had this day where I ran out and bought four hundred dollars worth of Costco groceries. And <laughs> just, you feel so alive when you when you finally rid yourself of it. Yeah, I bet. Wow. What an experience. And then you're working with this population and you're going back into that, you know, when you've got your seniors upstairs. So how have you protected yourself? Well, uh, for one thing, you know, we started uh, sanitizing and cleaning uh, three times a day. We have an outside professional service that comes in three times a day to to do the bathrooms and kitchens in our building. It's shared housing, essentially. Each person has their own locked apartment unit, but it's not self-contained. So they have community bathrooms and kitchen, a kitchen on each floor. And uh, so we're sanitizing that. And I'm, I am, I have been, and I will, and I will continue to wear the mask, even though I do have the antibody. So I'll be giving plasma soon to uh, something for the uh, Bloodworks Northwest. I'll give them a little plug there. Oh, good. Uh, but I'm not taking any chances because uh, we don't know yet uh, if we're, if we got various strains out there or, uh, if you can, if how long your immunity lasts, yeah, I just don't want to get sick again. I'm being careful, but I'm still, uh, I'm still going out. Uh, I go out at night uh, once a week. My other uh, street ministers, I have two full-time street ministers. That's all they do is go out on the streets, staying masked and gloved, and, and keeping social distance outside. And it works pretty much okay. Oh. <laughs> you get an exuberant homeless guy that wants to give you a hug every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> I, I think that that is really the hard thing that I'm seeing with people is that if they live alone and don't have an animal. Yeah, it could be lonely. And I know here at work when somebody shows up that we haven't seen what now for six or eight months, you just, it's like you want to run up and hug them and you're like, oh, I can't. Sick for six weeks and it was my birthday in May. <sighs> my coworkers and some friends uh, connived to do a, a big birthday drive-by for me so they went around the block in this caravan for uh three laps you know and i was just crying the whole time i was so happy to see faces you know oh how sweet well i am so glad you took time to talk with me today so i just wanted to i want to go over some things uh first of all your fundraiser how people get involved in that they can uh check it out on our website that's www uh, seattlenightwatch.org or they can email us at info, I-N-F-O at seattlenightwatch.org and we'll send them information. Okay, and if somebody wants to volunteer, uh, there's plenty, you have plenty of things for people to do? There's stuff for people to do. It's not all late night. The most fun I have in a work week is when I'm called upon to drive the guys to the shelter. It takes about an hour. That's with waiting around and we stand outside the van and have this social contact and then um you know and it's a it's a great thing to do you get you get the real down and dirty skinny on things like the barbecue in seattle versus kansas city (laughs) (laughs) what they think about the current sports situation (laughs) it's always fun when i was uh, running the day center for the women people would come to volunteer and they would be like 
you know, they walk in like, oh, this is serious. And we'd be laughing because we did. We had a great time. I mean, it was their situations were hard, but we were able to laugh and enjoy each other. And I'll tell you, that experience for me was so beautiful. And anybody that would want to take an hour and drive people, I would highly recommend emailing or going to the website of Nightwatch and getting involved because here's what you probably hear from your volunteers all the time. My volunteers always said, I'm getting more out of it than the people oh, are. For sure. I feel that way. And so the fundraiser's coming up. That's how people can help, and they can let other people know about it. And yep. you can volunteer. And anything else we've missed? I don't know. You want to get on the mailing list, let us know. We send out a monthly uh, paper newsletter, or we can send it to you via email and keep track of what's going on. It's always an interesting story or two. Great. It's short. I, it's short. It's something you can read in about three minutes. So. Awesome. I, I think it would be so fun sometime to just sit and listen to all the stories because so many things that we look at them and I think that people have this view, but when they, if they were to sit down and listen, they'd be amazed at yep. the lives that have been lived. Yep. One, I got time for one quick story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Somebody gave me some peanut butter sandwiches to take to one of the homeless camps that I was visiting at that time. And, and I asked uh, a friend of mine at the camp, what uh, a homeless guy, what, what uh, do you guys like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? And he goes, well, it depends who made them. <laughs> I said, well, why does that matter? He goes, well, kids know how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but the adults always skimp because they want it to go further. <laughs> funny that's hilarious <laughs> kids, kids know how to make a peanut butter sandwich but the adults don't they <laughs> oh i love that <laughs> thank you so much uh, for being with us good luck to you with your fundraiser and we'll certainly do what we can here to promote it for you as well all right Thanks so much, Lori. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with the people that are making a difference in our community.